I have a big question for you, and so I need for you to put on your thinking caps. I want you to, to pause your brain for just a moment to set aside all distractions and focus on this whopper of a question. Here it is. Are you ready? The question is, are you able to use sin sinlessly? When bad stuff comes into your life, whether it's you that causes it, you do the sinning, or whether someone sins against you, are you able to use sin sinlessly? I am asking, how do you respond to the inevitableness of sin in your life, whether it is yours or somebody else's? One of the big words in that question I just ask you is the inevitableness. It is going to happen. You can't stop it completely. And so now you have a choice that you have to make. You are either going to use the sin sinlessly or you aren't. You see, when wickedness comes into our lives, it will drive us in one of two directions. We will either fixate on the cause of the sin or we will fixate on the solution of the sin. If we fixate on the cause, we're going to be sin-centered. If we fixate on the solution, we're going to be Christ-centered. And so the question is, are you able to use sin sinlessly? I hope by the time that I get through with this podcast uh, that you will be able to think about the bad things that happen in your life, whether you are the cause of them or somebody else is the cause of them, and you will be able to flip that sin on its head and use it redemptively. You will be able to use sin sinlessly. Welcome to the podcast. I am Rick Thomas. I'm so glad that you are here. And if you want to read this podcast, I want you to read it. All you have to do is go to our website, rickthomas.net. Look for this title, Do You Know How to Use the Unwanted Sin in Your Life Sinlessly? Perhaps thinking about Joseph will benefit you right now. You remember what he said in 5020, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. There was sin that came into his life. He was not the cause of it, but it came but rather than being sin-centered, he was God-centered or Christ-centered. And because he was Christ-centered, he was able to not just use it redemptively in his own life, but in your life and my life too. Because of how God was orchestrating Joseph's life, the seed, Christ, came through Joseph and and eventually made it to Adam's tree where he died for our sins and we were able to be redeemed. Well, Joseph is a part of that redemptive narrative throughout Scripture. But he came to the place where he had to answer the same question that you and I have to answer on somewhat of a daily basis. Sin comes into your life. Am I going to position myself Am I going to cooperate with God in using this sin sinlessly, or am I going to spiral down into the black hole of a sin-centered perspective that will, that will take me down? If you want to read the article, please jump on our website. If you want to talk to us, you're welcome to do that. This ministry is brought to you by those who faithfully support it. And because of their faithful monthly and annual support, we are able to give 
give a lot of our resources away. And it is just a fantastic thing. And it brings me great joy to, to know that we can give all this away, but we can't without those who, who partner with us. And so because of them, uh, you can benefit freely from what we have to offer. And so thank you for benefiting. Thank you for those who who provide. I do want to make a special announcement. We have a new graduate from our Mastermind program. Our Mastermind program is an all-online self-paced study course that teaches believers how to do biblical counseling according to their God-given capacities. Cece Tillman is our latest graduate, and I, I just thank God for her. She came to us a couple of years ago, and we've had the privilege over the past couple of years to be able to serve her in her sanctification as she has been working hard to, to grind through our program. And she has done a remarkable job, and she can turn the tassel. She has now graduated. Well, we've also had this year, we're moving toward the end of January 2021, and since this year has started, has begun, we have four new students that have also come on board. Uh, we, we have Nicole, who is from Texas, and then we had uh, Rachel, who came on board, and I can't remember where Rachel is from. That's my forgetfulness. I'm sorry. Then we had Lisa, who came back. She paused the program a, a couple of years ago, and, and again, is self-paced, and several of our students have done that because things happen, and, and we totally understand, and that is not a problem, but Lisa has come back. She is from, from Canada. And then we also have Josh, who came on board. He is from Ohio. And so we have four new students that have joined our student body. And then we have an empty seat. The empty seat has your name on it. And so if you have been thinking about our mastermind program, I want you to fill that seat. Stop thinking, start doing, and you're welcome. We would love to have you in our program. If you want a self-paced study course, it's a leadership development course. It will blow your mind in every good way, and it will help you tremendously personally within your family and, of course, uh, to teach you how to go and make disciples. Well, you can come and be a part of our training. We would love to have you. Let us know how we can get you on board. Congratulations, Cece. You have done well. And uh, thank you so much for allowing us to serve you. All right, let me jump into the podcast. Do you know how to use the unwanted sin in your life sinlessly? Uh, there's a negative and a positive to this podcast. And so let's just get the negative out of the way. And then we'll, we'll talk about the redemptive purposes and usefulness of sin. But here's something that I want you to consider. And I want you, I want you to think deeply I want you to reflect on this, that if you do respond wrongly to the thing that, things that happen in your life, whether you're the cause of them or somebody else, if you think wrongly, then what will happen is a, a constellation of complicating problems will begin to gather around the original problem. Like a sin cloud will begin to hover and grow and metastasize until you will have other problems that will be associated with the original problem. And that is what happens from a sin-centered perspective. If you're looking at the problems in your life from a redemptive perspective, then that sin cloud will disperse because you will have another way of thinking about your problems. Let me give you just a short list of complicating problems that will will come, gather, collect, 
and expand around a wrong response to something that happens in your life. A complicating problem could be discouragement or frustration or blaming God. There's three. And so something happens in your life, and because you look at it through the lens of a sin-centered worldview, guess what? Discouragement will come and attach itself to your, to your mind. Frustration will come. Blaming, the temptation to blame God or blame others for what just happened. Or maybe paying a penance. There are some people, when they sin, they're so falsely guilt-ridden, guilt too much. There's too much guilt, and they think, I need to, I need to work harder. I need to, to please God. Some people just give up. They resign. These are some of the complicating factors that hover and collect and surround the original problem, whatever it may be. You can also grow in disdain for a person who did something to you. You could have a self-righteous critique of them. It can create relational tension. If your spouse sins against you, rather than looking at it through a God-centered lens, you begin to have relational tension. It can grow into a, a spirit of ungentleness toward that person, a poor reaction like like anger. It could even tempt you to find solace somewhere else. I don't like what my spouse is doing to me, so therefore I'm going to look for love in all the wrong places. These are some of the wrong responses to an original problem. These wrong responses, again, are called complicating problems that gather around the original problem. It could lead to even spiritual deadness. A sinful response to sin, regardless of who is guilty, it will bring more trouble into your life and relationships. You see, part of our problem is, is that we have a lack of tolerance for sin. And I want to explain that. We have a lack of tolerance, and then you couple that with a lack of expectation. You see, if you don't tolerate someone, if you can't uh, exercise grace toward, like, say, a spouse or a child— and then you couple that with an expectation that it shouldn't happen, well, my goodness, you're going to have all sorts of problems. It is like we adhere to a sin-free doctrine. Well, that's not how life is. I mean, we can't live in a world where we do not we just don't allow anybody to make any mistakes. And so part of our problem is a lack of tolerance. And couple that with a lack of expectation for it happening. This miscalculation, that was my first, well, I would say actually my second disappointment with God. My second disappointment with God was shortly after he regenerated me. It was the next day on the production floor at the machine shop in North Carolina where, where I was born and, and lived the first part of my, my life. What was I doing? After God regenerated me, I, the next day, 24 hours later, I was standing on the production floor lusting after a woman. There I was, standing, thinking, lusting. This is what I was thinking. Why am I lusting at this woman? I asked the Lord to save me yesterday, and today I'm doing the same things. That is exactly what was going through my mind. I felt the sting of disappointment rising in my soul. Now, what I did not know at that time many, many years ago now, many decades ago now, what I didn't know was how salvation was the beginning of my change experience rather than the end of it. You see, 
the beginning and end in my of my sin plan was just salvation. All I needed to do to, was to get saved. That was the beginning and end of my sin plan. My plan to to overcome sin and, and, and to live a perfect life was salvation. That is all I needed to do to fight my old nemesis of sin. And so the temptation to get angry, the temptation to lust, the temptation to depend on myself, those things were still active in my life even after the Spirit of God took up residence in me. Now, there were a lot of things that I didn't know back then. For example, I didn't understand the difference between positional, definitive sanctification, and progressive, practical sanctification. Do you? What is positional sanctification? What, what is progressive sanctification? Those are two different things, and I did not know the difference. Let me explain. Positional sanctification is an instantaneous act from the Lord. It happens the moment God converts you. He sets you apart for his use. You are sanctified. It is a past tense action by God's grace. You are sanctified. You see this idea in Romans 8.30, for whom he he called, he justified, justified, he he glorified. Or in Ephesians 4.35, we or 4.30 rather, we are sealed until the day of our redemption. You see this past tense thing. It's already complete. Positionally in Christ, we are perfect. That is positional or definitive sanctification. But then there is progressive sanctification. It's different. It emphasizes God's work in us, which is incremental, practical, and maturing. By His grace, we cooperate with Him through obedience as we work out our salvation for His good pleasure. You see, while on earth, we do not realize, we do not see, we do not experience perfection in a practical sense. And so there is a call on your life to put to death the deeds of your body until you receive a new body. And while your identity is in Christ, while you are seated in heavenly places, that is positional sanctification, your practical functional sanctification is not complete. Though you have everything that you need for life and godliness, you are not entirely sanctified. Some Christians focus on their identity in Christ as the be-all, end-all, while forgetting James's call to be doers of the Word, not hearers only. And that is the way I thought, ignorantly, I just didn't know any better, the day after God regenerated me. My identity was in Christ, and that was the be-all, end-all, and I did not know. I didn't forget James's call to be doers of the word. I didn't know James's call to be doers of the word, not hearers only. James says that if our faith does not have works, then it is dead faith. And while there is much to enjoy and benefit from our positional completeness in Christ, we also have a fight on our hands. There is a necessity upon all of us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. You know that I'm quoting Philippians 2 right there. 
But here's the key, and it's vital that you understand this. We are not working for our salvation. We are working out what the Lord is working in us. Now, I didn't know this when the Lord regenerated me. I was on the be saved, be complete plan, not knowing that I would be in a fight against sin on my born days. My ignorance kept me perplexed and it kept me frustrated about ongoing corruption in my life, as well as the ongoing corruption that I experienced from others. Without a biblically appropriate sin awareness for yourself and your friends, you will always respond poorly to sin. The idea of coming alongside a fellow struggler in a spirit of gentleness to restore them, it will remain a grade level that you will not attain because of a skewed perspective and application of the doctrine of sin. The combining of positional and progressive sanctification implies this, I have changed but I have not entirely changed. And you must own this truth. If you don't own this truth, you will sabotage your walk with the Lord as well as your relationships. Now, this perspective of positional, definitive sanctification and progressive, incremental sanctification It raises an essential question for you and me to ponder. The question is, I want to change, but why have I not changed? And I want to talk about that in this podcast. Because if you want to change, you have to learn how to use sin sinlessly. And so when unchange comes into your life, when sin comes into your life, whether you do it or someone else, The way that you change will be how you think about that sin in your life. The Lord has not removed all of our sins and the sins of others, especially those that we love most. There can be several reasons for the doctrine of remaining sin in our lives. One of those is obvious. The Lord uses sin to humble us while creating a dependency within us to rely on him rather than ourselves. Paul was very clear in 1 Corinthians 8 and 9. He says, We do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. And then he goes on to say, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but to rely on him who raises the dead. And so it's obvious, at least one obvious point, is that the Lord uses sin to humble us while creating a dependency within us to rely on him rather than ourselves. Being in Christ and having a relationship with Christ is not primarily to overcome sin. You see, if our goal were to overcome sin or not be affected by sin, the sin of others, then sin removal would be our chief point of focus. That would be the chief aim in life would be not to sin and not to be overcome by the sin of others. Can you imagine how this strategy could lead to all kinds of human-centered, self-centered contrivances? We could become 
performing legalist like Paul, who is probably the most righteous person of his day, though he did not know Christ. Paul hated sin with a passion, but he missed the prize of Christ in all of his holiness, all of Paul's holiness. The primary purpose of being a Christian is not to overcome sin, but to have a robust relationship with God and with others, to two great commandments that you hear about in Matthew 22. It is not primarily about sin, but about a relationship. Now, this may be a subtle shift in your thinking. And if it is, at least that much, a subtle shift, it will have a profound outworking in your life. The part sin plays in our lives becomes the instrumentality that the Lord uses to press us into a deeper relationship with Christ and His body. This worldview, in a gospel counterintuitive way, is the blessing and the purpose of sin. This idea of the Lord using sin sinlessly should cause pause while reigning in our hearts a little bit on how we think about the bad things that he allows and even orchestrates in our lives. I've already referenced Genesis 50-20. God orchestrated that. Joseph was very clear. Sin is what—think about this. Sin is what drove you to God in the first place. Talking about the redemptive purpose of sin, do you remember? The Lord used your sin sinlessly. You were broken by your sin. You were grieved by your sin. You desired to overcome your sin. What did you do? You cried out to God, and he came to you to give himself to you. Your sin was your motivation to find God so you could mature in your relationship with him. Sin does not have to be a relationship crippler. It could be the impetus to drive you into deeper friendships. The key for you and for me is not to be sin-centered, to where We are overcome by it, and we don't see Christ in it. And so rather than being sin-centered, we want to be Christ-centered. Do you see your sin as your opportunity to know Christ more effectively? Let evil be part of what fuels your passion for the Lord, just like in your salvation. Rather than an obstacle that deflates and paralyzes you. Now, with these things in view, let me, I want to walk you through three steps that will help you to see how God can use sin, yours or others, sinlessly. The title of the podcast, the article that I'm sharing with you right now is Do You Know How to Use the Unwanted Sin in Your Life? sinlessly. I want to give you three steps, and I will wrap up. Step one, identify. Sin is a reminder that we are not complete. This daily reminder should motivate us to press on to know Christ because we are not yet what we ought to be. Now, this critical thought is vital when thinking about the things that tempt us to sin. Too often when we sin, we choose anger while blaming our circumstances or our relationships. That's the complicating problem. I was talking two complicating problems that I was talking about earlier, anger and blaming. This wrong move is wrong thinking that runs counter to the Word of God. If the presence of sin in your life causes you to look outward rather than inward, 
Well, then you miss the Lord's purposes in allowing evil in your life. You remember what I was saying about Paul in 2 Corinthians 1. I don't want you to be ignorant of this affliction. He was focused on what God was doing in his life, not the affliction. He wasn't sin-centered. He was Christ-centered, which drove him inward so he could address what he needed to address in his life. Focusing in the wrong direction will never help you to overcome your problems. If the cause of your sin is outside of you, then you will become a blaming victim who will never overcome what you say you despise. You'll never overcome sin, the very thing you say you despise, if you spend your days blaming everything outside of you. You will become blind to the real need in your life. An outward look for the cause of sin will lead to bitterness and bondage. An inward identification of incomplete sanctification will lead to humility and freedom. Step one, identify. Step two, own it. In every conflict in which you find yourself sinning, the first move is to own your sin before addressing whatever someone did to you. If you do not do this, you will never be able to strengthen your relationships. This wrong move will also immobilize you from being a restorer of others. There is a logical order to strengthening your relationships, which always begins with what is wrong with you, which is what Jesus said in Matthew 7 about the log and the eye. This kind of humility will set you up for God's ongoing, unending, unmerited favor in your life. He gives grace to the humble person. If you don't pursue Christ to change you first, you are misjudging your present circumstance. This kind of sober self-awareness of the genuine need of your heart releases you to change. Knowing you are not perfect should not discourage you, but motivate you to run deeper into Jesus Go back to your salvation experience. Knowing that you're not perfect should not discourage but motivate you to run to Christ. This insight is appropriate gospel awareness. You could say it like this. I'm not perfect, and the circumstances in my life help me identify what needs to change within me. Step one, identify. Step two, own it. Step three, pursue. There is a prize before us, but we tend to look backward. We pay attention to what others did to us rather than what the Lord wants to do in us. Looking back while walking forward will cause you to run into a tree. Paul had a way of looking at life that freed him to be more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus. His goodness and his badness put it together. It served as the fuel that pushed him deeper into his Savior. As he said it in Philippians 3, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in God of God in Christ Jesus. The prize is to be like Christ. Paul wanted the Lord to transform him into the image of Jesus more than anything else. This was his singular and tenacious aim. He did not focus on sin, but Christ. He thought about what he wanted to become. We must learn this lesson. Whatever you want to become is what you will spend your time focusing on. This lesson is one of the hardest to teach hurting people. 
They are so dialed in to the sin in their lives that they cannot see the yearning Savior, the only prize worth savoring. They have another prize in mind, a prize designed to feed their deepest longing, which is not the Savior. Paul chalked all of those things, counting them as manure, as he said in Philippians 3.8, because he found something that surpassed all sublunary loves. The title of the podcast is, Do You Know How to Use the Unwanted Sin in Your Life Sinlessly? I want to ask you a couple of questions, and then we are done. This is the call to action at the end. Question number one, how is your life shaping you into Christ-likeness? If you're sin-centered, then it's not. If you're Christ-centered, then your life, the good and the bad of it, is shaping you into Christ-likeness. Who are some of the individuals the Lord is using to mature you? Who is that instrument of grace that God is using in your life to mature you? That instrument of grace is probably a problem in your life, someone that you struggle with. Who is the, who are the individuals in your life that the Lord is using to shape you? How are the terrible things that are happening to you transforming you into Christ? And so the first two questions was about an individual that is shaping you into Christ by the bad things that are happening to you. And the second question is about the terrible situations in your life. How are they shaping you, transforming you to Christ? Number three, what needs to change about you to benefit from all the situations and all the individuals in your life to move you further toward the prize? The prize is Christ Jesus himself. In this article, I have a lot of embedded links. There's probably 30 to 40 other articles that you can read. You can use this as a long-term homework assignment. If you're helping someone, walking them through this idea of definitive sanctification and practical sanctification and their role in cooperating with God in their ongoing transformation. As always, if you want to talk to us, we'd love to chat with you. Jump on our forums, and we're here. We're waiting. God bless.